Good morning, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here this morning. If this is your first time visiting our church, a special welcome. We trust that you will experience God's uh, love here in this place. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor, and uh, I love the fall season, uh, partly because we get to eat a lot, right? And so it's time to get out the stretchy pants because we're going to have a lot of eating. And uh, I, I do want to take a moment to mention that in the coming weeks, weeks, we're going to let you know about a fun event that we're going to have here at church on November 19th. And so I'm just giving you just a sneak preview, okay, so you can mark your calendars, and we'll start promoting this in the weeks to come. But on November 19th, which is the Sunday of Thanksgiving week, we are having our E-Free Family Friendsgiving Feast. Yes. I'm going to say that again. E-Free Family Friendsgiving Feast. You're going to enjoy a turkey feast here at church on November 19th with all the fixings. And so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a wonderful time for our church family to come together. We'll start announcing that in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to get that out there so you can mark your calendars. And... You know, for the fall season is a great time for uh, gatherings, and we'll do a lot of that. I also want you to know that the fall season is important for our church because it gives our church many opportunities to make an impact on a very tangible level in our communities. Now, I want to share with you two ways that you can make a tangible impact. One is through a wonderful ministry called Sheepfold. The Sheepfold is a ministry in Orange County, and for many years, people at our church have been uh, sponsoring and, and partnering with the Sheepfold. And this year, Domestic Kindness is sponsoring uh, our church and also partnering with the Sheepfold. And what we want to do is this. We want to provide some important needs for the sheepfold. The sheepfold is a Christian shelter that really it, it ministers in a very tangible way. It takes um, abused women and their children in, into their fold, and it provides them with resources and it trains them to help them find jobs and also permanent housing. And so this fall, we have the privilege of partnering with the sheepfold. We're looking for donations of non-perishable Thanksgiving dinner items, such as like canned goods. Also, we'd like to even receive turkeys because we're going to minister to 47 families. And so what you can do is this. After service, go to the foyer, go out to the patio, and you will see a poster with all the list of items that you can donate as we partner with the sheepfold. And you can bring those items with you either on the Saturday, November the 11th, or Sunday, the 12th of November. But again, just go out to the patio, out to the foyer. You'll get all the information you need. So that's the first way that you can tangibly make an impact in our community. Another way, this year, again, we're participating with the Operation Christmas Child, and we're going to have a packing party again this year. Yes. And that is going to be on November 12th at 12 p.m. And you're not going to go hungry because we're going to feed you. And you need to be fed because we're going to put you to work because we're going to, I believe, put together our goal of 750 boxes this year. 
So it's a lot of work. And so we'll have uh, many more announcements in the next few weeks, uh, letting you know what you can bring and donate. There are many needs across the world. And thank you, church, for your generosity. Well, before we get into God's word, I'm going to ask you to bow with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, as we bow, as we come to you in prayer, we ask, Lord, that you would use your word to speak to us in a way that would transform our lives to look more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, we all know that jealousy, the word jealousy, it conjures up all kinds of images. Jealousy is bad. We know that. Jealousy is wrong. And jealousy creates all kinds of problems. And jealousy has terrible consequences. You turn on any crime documentary, and chances are jealousy has played a role in that story. We see jealousy in sports. We see jealousy between teams, but even within the same team. There are teammate rivalries, and this doesn't happen only at the professional level or the college level. It happens in youth sports, and we know that. Take it from me. I know firsthand because I was a, a coach of a Little League team. So, so I got to experience firsthand all kinds of jealousy. So players and their parents, they think, well, they're better than their teammates. Where their teammates and their teammates' parents would beg to differ, right? And so you have rivalry and competition and jealousy. Everybody wants to be the starter. Everybody wants more playing time. We see jealousy in the arts, in music, dance, in any type of performance. Think about it. Why is it that we have shows like Dance Moms? We wouldn't have Dance Moms if we didn't have jealousy in the arts and performance. Jealousy is all around. Some people, in fact, I'll say many people, they have to fight the temptation of jealousy every time they open their social media accounts. By the way, in case you didn't know, just that so you do know, oftentimes people get jealous not knowing that they are comparing their actual lives to constructed lives that they see on social media. Not only that, more often than not, people are comparing their weaknesses to other people's Strength. And whenever you compare your weakness to someone else's strength, you're going to lose. And the tendency is to become jealous. Jealousy is all around us. Now I'm going to pause because this would be a good time for me to give you the title of this morning's message, which, by the way, concludes our series. And the title of this morning's message is The Immeasurable Love of a Jealous God. The immeasurable love of a jealous God. Now, I've just gotten done telling you that jealousy is bad. We know that jealousy is wrong. But my question to you is this. Is jealousy ever justified? Is jealousy ever right? And I'll go one step further and ask, is jealousy ever biblical? I hope so, because 
that's the title of my message, right? The immeasurable love of a jealous God. And what I'm going to do is this. This morning, before we go any further, I'm going to define two types of jealousy because it's important for us to know the distinction between these types of jealousy. So I'm going to define ungodly jealousy, and then I'll define godly jealousy. Here's how I'm going to define ungodly jealousy. Very simple. Ungodly jealousy is envious resentment. There are many good definitions out there, but I want to keep it very concise. Ungodly jealousy is envious resentment. When people see or hear someone else's success story, whatever that success story might be, chances are, initially, they might be happy for that person. They might be proud of that person. But then, sometimes what happens is that person becomes jealous of that other person's success. And that person's jealousy can often turn to resentment. The classic example of ungodly jealousy in the Old Testament is King Saul and David. People loved King Saul. I want you to know that. People absolutely loved King Saul until a handsome young champion came along and, oh, by the way, he slayed a giant. And not only was David this warrior, he had a tender heart. So think about this. He's a fighter with a tender heart. I mean, that is irresistible, right? He's like the complete package. And so along comes this warrior who is a poet and took all the attention away from Saul. In fact, after David had killed Goliath, he returned home. And here's what awaited David. He walked down the streets, and along both sides of the street were lined all the women. And they were dancing for David, and they were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And so the moment Saul heard them sing that, he became infuriated. He became jealous of David. And from that moment on, he sought to do evil against David. Envious resentment is never right. Envious resentment is never justified. And when the Bible talks about jealousy, it often refers to that type of ungodly jealousy. But there is a jealousy that is right. And there is a jealousy that is biblical. And here's how we're going to define godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is zealous commitment to a covenant love. Zealous commitment to a covenant love. And this is the kind of jealousy that God has for his people. This is the kind of jealousy that God has for us. 
I want to take us to a passage in Psalm 79, verse 5. Turn there with me. Psalm 79, verse 5. And as we've been doing throughout this series, we, we go to the Psalms first to look at a passage and that serves as our launching pad for the rest of this message. Psalm 79, verse 5 says this. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? The word jealousy here in verse 5, it gives us the root for the name of God that we're exploring today. Remember, this series is all about the names of God. And here in this verse, we are given the root for the name of God that we're going to explore in this morning's message. And the name is Elkanah. And Elkanah means the jealous God. To be even more specific, Elkanah, El the, Kana, Kana literally means consuming fire. That's why the psalmist writes, how long will your jealousy burn like fire? That's why I've titled my message, uh, The Immeasurable Love of a Jealous God, and jealous meaning zealous, zealous commitment to a covenant love. I invite you to turn to Exodus 20. And we're going to look at this covenant love. Exodus 20, in verses 4 and 5, here's what we read. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Right there, God himself says, I am a jealous God. Now, we've just read the second of the Ten Commandments, and God is making a covenant with his people. And he tells them in no uncertain terms that he is a jealous God. Keep in mind, he's making a covenant with them. Church, I want you to know how important the word covenant is. A covenant is a serious matter. A covenant is not simply a contract. In our society, contracts, they are made and broken all the time. We see it in sports, business, cell phone contracts. People just break contracts left and right. Covenants are not contracts. Covenants go much deeper than contracts. Covenants are not meant to be broken. And because of the serious nature of covenants, oftentimes pain is involved. In fact, great pain. Did you know that godly jealousy is a painful jealousy? And it's critically important that we know the difference between godly and ungodly jealousy because the reality is both godly and ungodly jealousy involve pain. 
but there's a difference in that pain. You might know that jealousy is often accompanied by anger, and ungodly jealousy can even lead to fits of rage. But there's a difference between godly and ungodly jealousy. Maybe you've heard the term righteous anger or righteous indignation. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 2, he says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Now, if you were to read the entire 11th chapter, or in fact, the entire letter for that matter, you would hear the passion, the righteous indignation, and the godly jealousy that Paul has for the Corinthian brothers and sisters. He does not miss words in that letter. Why? Because he cared so deeply for the Corinthian church. And it pained him to no end to see them, to watch them stray further and further away from God. Did you know that Paul was not concerned with his own ego? That's the difference between destructive anger and righteous anger. Paul was jealous for the Corinthians with a godly jealousy because he cared so deeply about their spiritual well-being. And that's precisely the type of jealousy God has for us. God's not jealous because his ego is hurt when we disobey him. King Saul was jealous of David because, as one author puts it, King Saul was needy and greedy. Our God is never needy or greedy like human beings. God is not a needy, greedy person like an immature person who is constantly looking for attention. Do you know anybody like that? If you do, don't tell me their name, all right? But the reality, there are some people who need attention, who are needy and greedy. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. He's not needy or greedy. If you were here last week, you might recall in our message entitled, The God Who Sees, I introduced you to a, a, a term, deism, D-E-I-S-M. In the 17th and 18th centuries, there was this intellectual movement called deism. And basically, the understanding is this, that there is a God, he created the world, but he is removed from the world. He kind of sees the world from afar. He's like this uninvolved, apathetic creator. He's like this watchmaker or the clockmaker who created the clock, wound it up, which is what they did in the olden days, and then he just let the clock go. That's the essence of deism. Deism is not a biblical concept. Well, today, I want to introduce you to a, a school of thought, an approach to life that is prevalent, especially here in our society in the West. 
And it finds its roots, in a sense, in deism. In 2005, a sociologist surveyed thousands of young people, and he wanted to discover their religious beliefs. And so he asked them several questions. He asked them all kinds of questions about their religious beliefs. And here's what he concluded. He said the prevailing thinking in our culture is one that says, God created the world, but he sees it from afar, and he wants people to be good, to treat others fairly, and he wants, more than anything, people to be happy and feel good about themselves. And if people are good enough, they will go to heaven. And that's the prevailing thought. And the study concluded that the view of God in much of our society is one that sees God who is uninvolved until we have a problem. And if we reach out to him, he will then solve the problem. And we see this actually on the news a lot. Oftentimes, non-religious people, they will say our thoughts and prayers go out to so-and-so. Even non-religious people will call out to God in times of need. And so in 2005, this sociologist came up with a title, a term for this type of thinking. And it's this, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. If I'm good, if I'm morally upright, then I can enjoy life, I can take care of my needs and dreams, as long as I'm happy and I do good for other people, I can go to heaven. Moralistic, therapeutic deism basically says God's just waiting in the wings, uninvolved, until we call on him. That is not the covenant God. Our God is absolutely involved in our lives every moment. Our God is a jealous God because he wants an intimate relationship with his people. He doesn't want just one hour one day a week. He doesn't want just one compartment in our lives. And he certainly does not want to be just one of many gods in our lives. And by gods, we're talking about the things that we worship and the things that preoccupy our minds. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had righteous indignation toward the Corinthians because they were going astray living compromised lives. And so Paul fought for the Corinthians. He fought for them. That's why he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. The late pastor Tim Keller, 
called Paul's love for the Corinthian church angered love. I'd say that's pretty accurate. Angered love. You see, because Paul couldn't stand by idly and let them live like they were living. And according to Tim Keller, I'm going to share a quote and I'm going to say it twice and just listen along and allow it to sink in because when I heard it this past week, it just stopped me in my tracks. Tim Keller said this, Godly jealousy is angered love that stays love. It is not so much about you and your hurt pride. It's about the loss of the relationship. Godly jealousy is love fighting extinction. Normal jealousy is love gone extinct. I'm going to say that again. Godly jealousy is angered love that stays love. It is angry, but it is still love. And it is not so much about you or your hurt pride. It's about the loss of the relationship. Godly jealousy is love fighting extinction. Normal jealousy is love gone extinct. Church, we ought to thank God every moment of every day that he does not ignore us. That he is a jealous God. That he does not want us to stray. And he will do everything to keep us from that. God doesn't just sit idly by up in heaven. Every time somebody wanders away and says to himself, Oh well, you win some, you lose some. That's not our God. Now on a personal note, as I was preparing this section of today's message this past week, it really made me stop and think. And I got deeply convicted. For those of us who call E-Free Church home, and by the way, I understand that there are people who are visiting and there are those who maybe have been here for some weeks or maybe even months or maybe even perhaps years and you, you are not quite there where you call E-Free Church home home. Now, my prayer is that this would be your home. That is my prayer. For those of us who call E-Free Church home, oftentimes, and this happens to me, I confess to you as your pastor, oftentimes we shy away from showing tough love to those who need it. For fear that that other person will think poorly of us. Or perhaps that person will think or say, who gives you the right to say that to me? Well, if we're part of the same church family, then don't we have the responsibility of doing everything we can to keep one another from making unwise, ungodly decisions. And even worse, wandering away from God. I really had to pause this past week. I looked in the mirror, and, and the reality is this. By nature, I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like confrontation. Anybody like confrontation? Some of you are gifted with confrontation, okay? That's wonderful, okay? 
Some of you are greatly gifted with confrontation. Many people are not. And the reality is, it's, it's safer. Maybe better for us, easier for us. Even when we see things happening, they're just wrong. That we just say, well, you know, I'm going to show grace. Thankfully, God is a jealous God. And he's fighting for a covenant love. He's committed to us. That's why he does not sit in heaven and say, oh, well, I win some and I lose some. He will fight for us. And that's the idea of a covenant relationship, isn't it? And how can we talk about a covenant relationship this morning without talking about marriage? When a bride and groom stand face to face at the altar on their wedding day and they're about ready to make their vows to each other, if they don't understand the serious nature of the covenant relationship they are entering into, then they don't understand marriage. There's no relationship like marriage. It is distinct from any other type of relationship. And Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you, he says. He pleaded with them. He said, I promised you, church, to one husband, Christ. And Paul was not going to break that promise. And if you ever want a clear yet painful example of a covenant relationship, just go home and read the entire book of Hosea. We won't read it here this morning, but I will say this, that the reason why God uses the relationship of marriage as an illustration of a covenant is the very fact that there, again, is no relationship like marriage. It is comprehensive. It is intimate. It is intense. Marriage has the highest of highs, and yes, it has the lowest of lows. There is no relationship like it. And God called Hosea, the prophet, to marry Gomer, knowing that Gomer would be unfaithful to him, knowing that Gomer would leave him and leave their three children. And she would become immersed in cult practices. Earlier in our series, Pastor Kevin talked about Baal and Baal worship. God's covenant people committed the sin of what is known as syncretism. And syncretism basically takes all the different gods and blends them together. And so there's this blended loyalty to all these different gods. And God's people did this to better their chances of succeeding. They figure, oh, we'll worship Yahweh, but let's worship Baal as well. You see, what happened was when the Israelites landed in the land of the Canaanites, 
They had to plant crops. And the Israelites watched the Canaanites. The Canaanites were brilliant. They knew how to plant crops. And the Canaanites, after they planted the seed, they would call out to Baal, the storm god, the god of rain, to bless their crops. And so the, so the covenant people saw the Canaanites and said, hey, we won't completely abandon Yahweh, but let's add Baal. We'll better our chances and we'll get nice crops. Year after year went by and God's covenant people became more entrenched in Baal worship. And it continued throughout Israel's history. They had become content. God's people wanted more, so they took less of God and more of the other gods. So what does this have to do with us in the 21st century? Well, it has a lot to do with us. Sometimes we might find ourselves content in life, and we ask ourselves, like, why can't I experience this? And we sometimes ask God, why? Why is it taking so long for me to experience what everyone else is experiencing? We think that we'll be happy when this or that happens. Well, guess what? Did you know that a discontent single person will be a discontent married person? Did you know that a discontent person making a small salary will eventually become a discontent person making a big salary? And a discontent person living in a small home will somehow find ways to become discontent in a big home. We just find ways to become more discontent, right? In a small home, they'll say, oh, it's so tiny, it's so tight, there's not enough room. They get to a big place, oh, too many rooms to clean. And so we'll always find ways to become discontent in life. The phrase, the phrase, I'll be happy when, it can lead us down a dangerous path that strays further and further away from God. But thankfully, he is not an apathetic God. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for us. He pursues us. Hosea's life is a portrait of God's covenant commitment to his people. Now, my question to you is this. How deep is God's love for us? How strong is his jealousy? Have you ever thought about that? How strong is God's jealousy for you? It is so strong that his own son shed his blood for us. Ungodly jealousy can lead someone to do some terrible things. We see it on the news. Ungodly jealousy can even lead someone to take someone else's life. We've seen that. Think about that. And think about the fact that Jesus gave his life for us. That's how jealous God is for us. And when Jesus went to the cross, it revealed two things about God. First of all, it, it revealed God's attitude towards sin. God cannot condone sin. And sin cannot go 
unpunished. There's a consequence for sin. But here's the second reality of the cross. The cross revealed God's merciful compassion and his immeasurable love despite our unfaithfulness. I have a question for you. When Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, did Jesus know that we would be unfaithful to him? Did Jesus know that we would fail him? He did. He knew, God knew, that we would still, unf that we would still fail him. But the burden was no longer on us. He took that burden off of us and he took it upon his own shoulders. He said, I, I know you're going to hurt me. I know you're going to hurt me. But I will not abandon you. Isn't it amazing that God chooses to love us? We sang about that earlier. Isn't it amazing that he chooses to love us? And so what is to be our response this week? Here's my assignment. This week, when we wake up, pause and just thank God that he is a jealous God. So as you get out of bed, say this. God, thank you that you are jealous for me. My guess is that might be a prayer many of us have never prayed before. God, thank you that you are jealous for me. And then don't stop there. Then finish off that statement by saying, I give you my heart today. May every word and deed be a reflection of my heart. Now, don't make a promise to God that morning. Say, every word that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be perfect. Because then, uh, then you have to face up to the reality that you're going to be unfaithful that day. But you say to him, may every word and deed be a reflection of my heart. Would you bow with me? God, thank you that you are jealous for me. Thank you that you are not apathetic. Thank you that you are committed to a covenant love. And thank you for reminding us of that love. And our prayer, my prayer for myself, for my church family, is that this week we would be jealous with a godly jealousy. And as we do so, I trust that we will look more and more like Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.